Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs and Proverbs and chapter number 29. Proverbs chapter number 29. We've been walking through this wonderful book throughout this year, hitting some here and some there. And now we hit our very last message we're going to be hitting in this series. As a reminder, the book of Proverbs is full of little sayings, concise sayings with very powerful, profound understandings, messages, things that we can get a hold of, easily memorize, but yet can be a great guidance within our life. We now come to the book of Proverbs chapter number 29. Proverbs chapter 29, and if you don't mind, notice with me together in verse number 18. The book of Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 18, the Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But He that keepeth the law, happy is he. And with the Lord's help, notice if you don't mind a phrase, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark with me Proverbs chapter number 29 and verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you that you're a real God, a God who hears us even when we pray, a God who's concerned with us and wants to use us and wants to be close to us. I'm asking, Lord, that we would have a clear vision of you, that you would show yourself in a mighty way, that we could turn around and respond to you because of our clear vision of you. And that we would also respond to the work that you would have us to do. Lord, again, do something today through your word to let us have this amazing vision. To be able to see you as you really are. Thank you, Lord. Fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose of you getting your own work accomplished through your word. That I set myself aside just however you want to use me. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. In Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 18, we have a very important phrase. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Without a doubt, this saying is a true saying, not only because the Bible says it, but we see this, that where there is no vision, people perish, where there's no plan, where there's no action, that people suffer because of this, that nothing is ever done for the Lord on accident, that it has to be a purposeful decision. And with this, let's cover some things about vision and try to get an understanding Where do we get it from? How do we get it? How do we maintain it? What is the vision? To be able to have a clear understanding so that way we can be used of God in the way that he sees fit. If you don't mind, the first thing I'd like to bring to your attention here is where 
do we get our vision? Where do we get our vision? With that, if you don't mind, let's look and see the answer in the book of Isaiah. So if you're in the book of Proverbs right now, just turn to a couple books over. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah and chapter number six. And let's answer the question, where do we get our vision? Where do we get our vision? Where do we get our vision? Well, our vision is of the Lord. Our vision comes from God. Anything we do in the Christian life, it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. And in order for us to have the correct vision, it begins with our vision of God. Meaning, how do we see our God? Well, we know that today there's a lot of different ways that people see God. But instead of being concerned with how others see God, let's see how the Bible says that we should see the Lord. Where do we get our vision? Our vision comes from God. Notice with me in Isaiah chapter 6. And notice with me in verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, this is Isaiah, saw also the Lord. So we know that Isaiah saw the Lord, but notice the, the background of this. That in the year that King Uzziah died, King Uzziah just died. He had reigned for 40 years. And for many people, this was the only king that the people knew. During King Uzziah's time, there was peace in the land. During King Uzziah's time, there was financial stability. During Isaiah's time, there was a time of prosperity. But here, the King Uzziah died. And now there's a little bit of anxiety. Now there's a little bit of saying what's going to happen next. There was, they were entering into an unknown and for the most part, the kingdom itself was entering into this period of unknown. How are we going to think, do things? How are things going to be done? How, what's the future going to look like? There was a lot of anxiety, worried, what ifs. They were being careful for a lot of things. What was the answer for all of this unknown? Having a clear vision of who God is. He starts off and saying that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Notice this vision of God. We start off with seeing the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. So here Isaiah gets a clear vision of who God is. If you don't mind, as we see this vision of God, let's walk through here and see what he sees. He sees the Lord sitting inside of the temple. This temple is the same temple that Solomon was used to build. It was the same temple that people had been worshiping that sitting in Jerusalem. And it's a pretty large structure. And in this vision, he sees God sitting on the throne. And as he's sitting on the throne in this vision, he sees his train, the train of God, filling the temple. The train was something that old uh, kings, monarchs used to wear. It'd be like a cape or a cloak. And it would be something that would uh, flow behind him. And in the ancient world, in the Middle, uh, Middle Ages, that the longer a train was, the more honor and prestige and glory the person who wore the cloak deserved. Well, how big is this cloak? Well, the Bible says that this train 
fill the temple. So if you could just imagine, this is smaller, but if you could just imagine this room here, that we would have a throne sitting here on the platform and we would have God sitting on the platform. And he was worthy of so much honor and glory and prestige that the train that he wore flowed from him over the throne into the room, folded over and back and forth, back and forth until it filled the temple. This is how much glory and honor and prestige God was worth as he had this clear vision of God. Notice as it goes on and above it, stood the seraphims. Then the word seraphims, they're a special type of angels. They're the literal ideas that they are the burning ones. They are specially created angels with one job. Their job is to take care of the throne room of God in worship to him. Notice as we see the seraphims, we have a description of what they look like. Now, before you read on, may I tell you that angels don't look like fat little babies in diapers with halos and a and a harp. That's not what the angels look like at all. How do these angels look like? Notice the description in verse number two. And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face and with twain he covered his feet and with twain he did fly. Notice he has three sets of wings, six wings in all. Each pair had a purpose. Now, one pair caused the angel to fly. We could figure that out with no help. That's one of the uses for it to allow it to fly. But notice there was two other features, two other sets of wings. With one set, it covered his feet. Now, why in the world would an angel need wings to cover his feet? Did it make him fly faster? Was it something? What did they do? These wings that covered the feet were part of this worship of God because feet, as ugly and as nasty as they are, what they are is evidence that we are created. Remember that God is not a created being. He's always existed. He is God. He is a spirit. And God has created his creation with feet and angels are created beings. This is part of the reason why when Moses stood before the burning bush that God stopped him and said, take off your shoes for the ground that you're standing on is holy. What what was the big deal out of this? Well, it was to be a reminder to Moses that Moses was standing before his creator, having his feet exposed, having his feet there. In this setting here, these angels have their feet covered as a sign of respect and humility, recognizing they were standing before their creator. And it was a sign that they were created beings. Their feet were covered. And with another set, so they had a set that they used to fly. They had a set that covered their feet as a sign of respect, of humbleness, that they were standing before their creator. With another set of wings they had over their eyes. Now, why have their eyes covered? What was the purpose of this? Well, angels, as much as they may be perfect, and as much as they may be holy, and as much as they may be powerful, and they're more powerful than us, if an angel walked in this room right now, every one of us would be diving under the pews for cover because of their power and their holiness, that they are very powerful creatures. 
However, as powerful and as holy as they are, they're still nothing in the sight of God. And before their creator God, and because God is so holy and magnificent, they have to have wings to cover their face. Because even as perfect as they are, they are still below God and they cannot look upon the face of God. Because God is so holy and he is so great and he is so wonderful. In fact, there is only one created being in all of the universe that could be able to look upon God with their own eyes. And that is redeemed man. Meaning a man who's come to the place where they've accepted Jesus as their savior. And when they pass, they get a brand new redeemed body. We are considered a child of the king. And we have the great privilege to be able to look upon our father during that time. But right now we're not in our redeemed bodies. We can't look upon God. And the angels have to have their face covered. This is how holy and powerful and great God is. Is that these specially created angels who serve God. That they have to have special created parts on them. That they have a set of wings that they could fly. They have a set of wings that cover their feet. To have humbleness and a sign of respect before their creator. Then they have a set of wings that cover their eyes. Because as holy and as great and as powerful as they are, they cannot look upon the face of God. Because he is higher than even heaven. He is higher than the glories of these angels. Do you know that the Bible says in the book of Psalm that God has to humble himself to look at heaven? Heaven is a great place. It's where we want to go to. But God has to humble, lower himself just to look at heaven because he is even higher than heaven. God is a perfected, holy being. As these seraphims are flying in the, in the throne room, what is it that they're doing? Now again, Isaiah is looking at this God, this God who is sitting on the temple He's sitting on the throne and his train that shows all the respect and honor that he deserves fills the temple. Isaiah witnesses as these created seraphims, these burning ones are in the throne room. And he can see that even their body is created to be in the presence of a holy God. That they have wings that cover their feet and wings that cover their face. What else? What are they doing? Notice it with me if you don't mind. In verse number three. And one, so one of these seraphims cried unto another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So notice these burning ones, these seraphims, what are they doing? They're worshiping God day and night saying, Holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. Notice the volume of their voice, verse number four. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. These angels, as they're speaking and praising God, saying, holy, holy, holy. They're saying it so loud that the volume of their voice is actually causing the doorpost to shake. You understand that they're not whispering, holy, holy. They are pronouncing it, holy, holy, holy. 
only Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. What does the word holy mean? The word holy in its complete idea carries with it in the perspective of God a perfection. It is something so perfect that it's set apart from everything else. That God himself is perfect, perfect, perfect. That he is set apart, nothing else can touch it. This is why the angels have to have their feet covered. This is why the angels have to have their face covered. Because God is so perfect, perfect, perfect. He is so set apart that nothing can touch it. And these seraphims, day and night, are around God's throne Saying nothing more than holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. We're not going to turn there. But these same angels are found in the book of Revelation chapter 4. And what are they doing in Revelation chapter 4? They're around the throne of God saying holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come. You understand, God is so big and he is so mighty and he is so wonderful that God has specially created angels whose only purpose is to sing God's praises day and night without rest, without vacation. The book of (laughs) Isaiah is written 700 B.C. We now currently present tense find ourselves 2023. And yet the Revelation chapter 4 is still in our future. That means these created beings in recorded history have been around the throne of God for over 2700 years. And that's just going from Isaiah to Revelation 4. Without break, without vacation, without stopping, all saying, holy. Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come. That this Lord, oh God Almighty, he is holy. He was holy. He will ever be holy. He never ceases. He never changes. And these angels are forever around the throne room of God because God is that big. He is that holy. He is that powerful. And that even these angels are reflecting his glory by singing his praises nonstop. And they're not losing their voice. Their voices aren't getting tired. But with power and prestige and honor, they are saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come. And they're saying with such force that even the posts of the door are shaking at the voice of him that cried. You see, this is a holy God. This is a big God. This is the vision that Isaiah is seeing. That he is seeing a great God who is high and lifted up. He is seeing a God who is so full of glory that his train fills the temple. He is a God of such glory and honor that these created beings nonstop for thousands of years and yea into eternity are around his throne saying holy, holy, holy. This is a vision of God, of whom he is, of his might and his power. 
But notice it's not done yet. What happened as they see this vision of God? Isaiah sees these created beings who are praising God. And he is seeing a great and mighty God. He gets a clear vision of who God is. That God is God and that there is none else. There's none that even get close. Angels who we would just be running for cover if we were in their presence are showing respect and honor to God saying we're not even close to God we're nothing in his presence God is God and there is none else when Isaiah saw the vision of God it led to the natural progression that he saw a clear vision of himself Notice if you don't mind as it goes on in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 5. We see the vision of ourselves. Then said I, Isaiah speaking of himself, woe is me for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah says, now that I have a clear vision of God, I realize something about myself that I'm nothing. He says, woe is me. That word woe means cursed. He says, I'm nothing. I'm a messed up being. I'm nothing compared to this God. I'm a man of unclean lips. He says, my lips, my whole being, everything that comes out of me is unclean. I am not as good as I think I am. I'm at the place where I realize that I am nothing in God's sight. When we have a clear vision of God, what happens is we have a clear vision of ourselves that we're not as good as we think we are. We're not as great as we think we are. We're not as correct as we think we are. That we're nothing in the sight of God. That in order to have the correct vision of ourself, we have to have a correct vision of who God is. And when we have a vision of God for whom he truly is, it changes how we see ourselves. We need God to reveal himself to us. We're at a place right now where people have a low view of God. They don't see God high and holy at all. And it's reflected in our society. These are old statistics. But did you know that 8 million Americans don't even own a Bible? They don't have a Bible of themselves. We had a place, again, old statistics. It's worse now. 10 churches close every day. According to polls that they've had, only 13% of Americans believe that they should live their lives by the Ten Commandments, meaning that they should allow the Ten Commandments to give them some sort of moral guide. Only 13%. 60% of Americans have been involved in a major crime. All of that shows, those are symptoms, not problems. All of that comes to the idea that people don't have a clear vision of who God is. And because we don't have a clear vision of who God is, it allows us to feel like we can do whatever we want. But when you see God as he truly is, it changes everything. We need to start where there is no vision, the people perish. Without them seeing God as he truly is, it changes everything. Without the vision of God, they perish, they die. They say, well, I don't need God. I can live my life without my own. And it has horrible consequences. We need to go back and have a clear vision of who God is. To be able to see him high, holy, and lifted up. 
The secret of a victorious Christian life is hiding ourselves in the Lord. Be able to see ourselves as God sees us. Notice as it goes on in verse number six. Then one of the seraphims uh, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, thy sin is purged. Now again, this is pictorial language, because he is seeing a vision of who God is. And in this he says, well, I'm a man of unclean lips. He's acknowledging that he's a sinner. And in this vision, he is seeing this idea that his sin, which he's saying is unclean lips, is purged. We understand the idea that God is getting across here is that he is able to cleanse us. He is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we have to admit that we're sinners, admit that we're wrong, confess that we agree with God and how he sees us, and he is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's able to give us salvation. He's able to give us forgiveness, full, free, and forever if we just come to him. He has the ability to take care of all of our sins. In Isaiah chapter 6, we start with a vision of God, that he sees God high and lifted up. Because of his clear vision of God, he then sees the vision of himself, that he is a man of unclean lips, that he's not as good as he thought he was, that he is nothing next to God, and that he needs God to cleanse us because he's a sinner and he needs God to forgive him. This brings us to the third part of this, that we see the vision of the work the vision of the work. That when we have a clear vision of who God is, then we also have a clear vision of what God wants to be done. Notice as we go on Isaiah chapter number six and verse number eight. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Notice when God is speaking, he's not speaking to Isaiah. He's asking a question. Who do I send? Who's going to go for us? Who's going to tell people about about who God is that they can have forgiveness? Who's going to go out and do the work and point people to God? Notice that he's not speaking to Isaiah, but notice Isaiah's response in verse 8. Then said I, here am I, send me. What Isaiah, because he saw God as he truly sees himself, as God truly is, and he sees himself as he truly is, then he says, he has no problem saying, God, I'll go. God, I know you didn't directly say it, but I'm willing to volunteer. When we have a clear vision of who God is, we also have a clear vision of the work that he has and realizes that we have a great opportunity to worship our God. You know when people don't read their Bible, you know what the problem is? They don't see God high, holy, and lifted up. When people aren't faithful to church, you know what, they ha- what the problem is? The problem is that they don't see God as he truly is high, holy, and lifted up. When people don't pray, it's because they don't see God from who he truly is. When people think they could sin and get away with it, it's because they don't have a clear vision of who God is. Without vision, the people perish. And it all begins with our vision of God. And when God is in his rightful place, everything else in our life will be in its proper place. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. You know, if people saw God as he truly is, we would have no problems whatsoever to get people to go pass out tracts and tell people about the Lord. 
because people said, I want to tell you about who I met. I want to tell you who I saw. I want you to see him for yourself. When God is in his rightful place, it changes the way we behave. It changes the way that we see ourselves. Without vision, the people perish. The problem in people's lives is not the sin. The problem in people's life is not how they think. The problem in people's life is not their actions. The problem in people's life is not their opinions or how they were raised. The problem is, is that people don't see God as they truly is. But when anyone sees God as he is, as he truly is, when they meet God face to face, when they have a clear vision of whom he is, it changes everything. How do you fix problems in a church? Well, remember the problem is not people. The problem is that we're, don't, we're not looking at God. When everyone in the church is looking at God, we move forward together in unity because our goal is God. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. When someone comes up and says, pastor, I just can't understand. I can't, I don't know why I keep doing things wrong. Well, the problem's not your behavior. Your problem is your belief. You need to see God as he truly is. Well, pastor, I just have a hard time reading my Bible. It's just this and this and this. The problem is not this and this and this. The problem is that they don't see God as they truly is. Everything, everything, everything is fixed when God is in his rightful place. Without vision, the people perish. And when we see God as he truly is, we also see ourselves as we truly are. And when we see ourselves as we truly are and we see God as he truly is, we also see the work. We have a clear vision of the work. The greatest day in your life is the day that you realize your own personal accountability to God. That you're going to stand before this God and give an account one day. You're going to stand before the presence of that God, whether you're saved or not saved. Whether you are right with God or not right with God, you will stand before that God. That great God who is high and holy and lifted up. And you will give an account to him one day. Now we start off with what? <laughs> Dealing with the idea of where do we got our vision? Where do we get our vision? Our vision comes from God. We have to see God as he truly is. Which brings us to a second thing. What is our vision? What is our vision? Remember, it starts with our vision of God. And when we see God as he truly is, we see ourselves as we truly are. When we see God as he truly is, then we see the work that he has as it should be. That God has given us as New Testament believers one thing to do. One. And that is accomplishing the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? The Great Commission can be summarized in two words. Reaching and teaching. Soul winning and discipleship. That we are to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let them meet God for themselves. Then we teach them how to follow after him. So they could go tell other people how they can meet God. That's it. That's the one thing that God has given us to do. When we have no vision, the great commission is not accomplished. And then people will perish and go to an awful place called hell. Notice again as we are in Proverbs Proverbs 29, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. When we have the vision of God, 
we also have no problems obeying what the Bible says. Happy are we. Why? Because we're being pleasing to what God has given us to do. When we spend our time investing in souls, when we spend our time and our influence in accomplishing the Great Commission, we are also accomplishing what God has given us to do in our life. The one thing that God has given to us. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Maybe as an illustration, may I bring up Mr. William Carey? Mr. William Carey was called the father of modern day missions. In 1772, William Carey, who was just a cobbler, just someone who put together shoes, preached a powerful message in Nottingham, England. His sermon text was Isaiah 45. And Isaiah 45, 2 and 3, it said, Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt bring forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. The revolutionary sermon was to expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. A powerful motto that he carried the rest of his life. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Where does this come from? It comes from our vision of God. That because of a big God, I ex can expect him to do great and mighty things. And because of the great God that I have, I can attempt great things for God. William Carey at this time, they had an offering and he was so poor, he couldn't even have enough money to give to the offering. But one thing he gave himself to, he, he did, instead of giving money, he gave himself. He went ahead and surrendered and became a missionary, became one of the first foreign missionaries, meaning going from one country to another uh, in the modern day uh, idea concept that we have today. William Carey set for England and finally landed in Calcutta, England on November 11th of 1793. He worked there at a supervisor in Calcutta at a factory for five years until he was able to purchase the purchase the company. Now, remember, he didn't have anything to give, no money to give except for himself. And now he goes and works and God blesses him. He gets a factory and he's able to use the proceeds of the factory to help function as he goes into India and begins to open up the interior. He baptized his first converts in 1800. In 1831, he became a professor of oriental language and began to translate the Bible. And from his efforts and his colleagues, they were able to give parts or the entire Bible to 36 different languages, allowing the Bible to be opened up to more than 300 million people who did not have access to a Bible before. Before William Carey, there was nothing. When William Carey was done, there were churches in India and the Bible was translated so 300 million people could read it for themselves. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he said, I can expect great things from God because God's a big God. And because God is more concerned with people getting saved than I am, I'm just saying, here am I, send me. And he followed God and opened up the idea of modern missionaries. 
missions. To be able to see millions of people come to know the Lord because of his efforts. People that would have perished. All because he got a clear vision of who God is. When he saw a clear vision of who God is, he saw himself as he truly was. And then when God said, who shall I send? He volunteered, said, here am I, send me. And God used him for amazing things. What a great phrase this was for his, his title that changed the entire world. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. The only way that will become alive is when you see God as he truly is. Why can you missionaries give up their family in the United States and travel around the world to a group of people that don't want them there? Because God is on the throne. Why is it that we can pass out thousands and thousands of tracts and thousands and thousands of John and Romans? Why is it that we now have a vision that next year when the NFL draft comes that we have in three days time expectations of passing out a hundred thousand tracts or a hundred thousand John and Romans. It's impossible. I know, but wouldn't it be great to attempt something great for God while we're expecting great things from God to be able to see a God who's able to do the impossible as for the things in our church. There are so many things that we can do within this local church. There's already so many amazing things that we're doing in our church. When people hear about our church, they imagine that our church is very much four or five times the size. When they hear all the things that are being done. When they hear about the influence that we have. The people that are listening online. The people that are being influenced talked about it. They're asking more about it. People honestly think that we're four or five times our size. When they hear about how much we give to missions, when they hear about the John and Romans we passed out, the tracks that we passed out, they go, churches bigger than you haven't even done that. Where does it come from? Well, it starts with God. We have to see God. And by the way, there is so much more that God wants to do with us. But it starts with our vision of God. Without vision, the people perish. What is it that God wants you to get involved with? This year in our, John, in our <laughs> Christian Life Journals, we have a whole article that talks about the ministries of the Riverview Baptist Church. We have whole pamphlets that we've given out that some of you have right now that talk about the things that we're doing in the Riverview Baptist Church that you could be involved in, that you could be a part of. Every single person could do something for the Lord. But before just attempting to do it, you need to get a clear vision of who God is. See him for yourself and realize that God can do the impossible and that we, the greatest days are still ahead. Which brings me to one last thing and a practical thing. How do we keep our vision? It's one thing to get excited for a message and say, oh, this is great preacher. But then you hit something called Monday. How do you keep your vision? Well, first of all, your daily Bible reading. The greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for yourself. Remember, the whole purpose of God is to reveal himself to man. And if you go to your Bible reading every time and say, God, teach me more about who you are. 
he will answer that because God wants you to see who he is. It changes everything. And when you read your Bible daily and you keep your eyes on the Lord, it allows you to keep your vision, to realize that God is on the throne. And when you see God in his rightful place, you see yourself as you truly are. Then you see the work as it truly is. As it all begins with God. And if you want to keep your vision, without vision, the people perish. What vision are we talking about? We're talking about looking at God. That's where it begins. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. You start with your daily Bible reading. Whenever you stop reading your Bible daily, you also are not going to have a clear vision of who God is. You're going to see a lower vision of God. You're going to start to try to recreate God in your own image and start trying to replace God. And then you're going to be ineffective. You're going to be without power and you're going to drift away and people will perish because of it. How else do we keep uh, our vision? You need to be faithfully reading missionary letters. You need to have your heart stirred by what is currently going on and what we are currently doing. These missionaries are out there seeing people saved. Many people may know our, uh, the Oishi family. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand as we're recording right now, but how, <clears throat> have you been seeing what's been going on in the present tense currently right now? They were able to start a brand new church. This is their third week in operation and already seeing people saved. Isn't that amazing? That should get us excited that things are going on. How about the Nickel family? The Nickel family currently are on their way to the destination that they're going to. We have missionaries who are out there on the field seeing God work and they have to trust God by faith because they don't have some cushy church like ours where they could relax in. They have to trust God and trust that God can do an amazing work where they're at. By the way, we can trust God to do an amazing work where we're at. Amen. To be able to say, well, God could do that here. You don't have to be in a foreign country for him to work. You could be in this country. But you have to see God as he truly is and expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. What else can we do? Pray faithfully for souls. Pray faithfully for souls. The Bible gives a promise in Psalm 126. Psalm 126. Let me read it to you if you don't mind. In Psalm 126, it says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Remember, it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. Some of you are still looking forward to seeing your first person that you led to the Lord. Instead of attempting just great things from God, you need to spend some time with God. Remember, we can't save anybody. God does the saving. But we need to go pray for souls. Have a broken heart for souls. Weep for souls. And the Bible said, we shall doubtless come again, bringing, our, bringing in our sheaves. Bringing our sheaves with us. You need to spend some time weeping for souls. Lord, let me see someone get saved. 
Lord, please let me see someone get saved. Lord, use me as an instrument to see someone get saved. Lord, please save my friend. Lord, save my teacher. Lord, save and pray for them and beg and get to the place where it's not just names on a page, but it's souls for which Christ had died for. I guarantee that if you go to the Lord in prayer and weep over souls and pray for souls and look at God and see him high, holy and lifted up, that you'll be able to see God use you in special ways to see people reached. To see people come to know the Lord as Savior. Without vision, people perish. What if, as we approach this brand new year, what if you took some time to talk to the Lord and say, God, by faith, I'd like to see this many people that I personally get led to the Lord. I know that you do the saving, but Lord, I'd love for you to use me as an instrument to see X number of people get saved, come to know Christ. Lord, because of the influence that you have and allowed me to have because of who you are, I'd love to see this many people that I invited come and stay in church. Remember, it all begins with God. We can attempt to do this stuff on our own and come up empty. But it has to start with God. So what, what's another way to keep our vision? To pray for souls. To go to the Lord weeping and praying and asking God to do something. What's a fourth practical way? So we talked about that we're to stay faithful in our Bible reading. For the purpose of seeing God high, holy, and lifted up. A second thing is to read faithfully our missionary letters. To keep our souls stirred up. To realize that people are getting reached and they could do it here. A third thing is to go to God in prayer. Weeping for souls, praying for people to get saved, begging for God to see people come to know the Lord. Remember, it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God's the goal. It begins with our vision of God. And when we see God as he truly is, we see ourselves as we truly are. And we see the work as it truly is. What's a fourth way, practical way to keep our vision of God, to keep our vision of the work that he has for us to do? Read Christian biographies. I just gave you William Carey a small snippet of his life. Wasn't that exciting to hear what God had done with this missionary? The father of modern missions to see what he did? Become a reader. Read these stories. See what God can do with another person. And God can do that with your life. Get in the habit of reading, digesting now, I know that people are at different reading levels, but what if you can set yourself a goal? Lord, I'm going to read 15 minutes every day. I read my Bible already, but maybe I could read a little bit of Christian biography. Maybe it's the thing I do before I go to bed. Maybe it's just I set aside a time that I read this Christian biography. Maybe you want to set a goal that said, Lord, help me to read a biography once a month or finish an entire book once a month or maybe once a week, depending on your reading level. To fight for that time and say, this is important. I ma you make yourself time to do other things. To say, this is important. I want God to use me. And in order for God to use me, I really have to keep my eyes on the Lord. One way to do that is to read Christian biographies. I have purpose purposely purchased lots of biographies that's in my office. You could check it out. It's a library. You could check them out. Read them for yourself. Keep your soul stirred. Keep this in mind as we see William Carey and these other people. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. 
Make that your motto. God, this year I want you to see amazing things happen. Not because of me, but because of whom you are. Where there's no vision, the people perish. What vision are we talking about? The vision that comes from seeing God. That it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. And when we see him as he truly is, we see ourselves as we truly are. And when we see him as he truly is, we also see the work that he has for us. That he's given us one thing to do as New Testament Christians. And that's accomplishing the Great Commission. Notice that word accomplishing. He expects us to get it done. And it can be. And he wants us to do. And that we're just responsible for doing what he's given us to do. But we need to do it. How do we stay motivated? How do we stay on fire? By keeping our eyes on God. Realizing that he's got a plan. And let's make this as we're thinking about the greatest days still ahead for this church. Maybe we can make that our motto ourselves. Let's expect great things from God. And let us attempt great things for God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.